Hello, welcome to Clean Dreams Recovery Podcast. Please pray for me. My name is Troy, and I am a drug addict and alcoholic. So glad that you were able to stop by and sit with us today. We hope that something that we share helps you in your recovery. Before we go any further, let's go ahead and invite he who presides over us all. God, please grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Big shout out to Sean C. for helping me produce this little podcast. Sean, I thank you. I can't do it without you, bro. Now, as per usual, I'll be coming out of the material. Today, I am in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book. On page 36, that's step three. And this is going to be... uh, we begin with the second paragraph where it says, let's examine. Let's examine for a moment this idea of dependence at the level of everyday living. In this area, it is startling to discover how dependent we really are and how unconscious of that dependence. Every modern house has electric wiring carrying power and light to its interior. We are delighted with this dependence. Our main hope is that nothing will ever cut off the supply of current. By so accepting our dependence upon this marvel of science, we find ourselves more independent personally. Not only are we more independent, we are even more comfortable and secure. Power flows just where it is needed, silently and surely. Electricity, that strange energy so few people understand, meets our simplest daily needs and our most desperate ones, too. Ask the polio sufferer confined to an iron lung who depends with complete trust upon a motor to keep the breath of life in him. But the moment our mental or emotional independence is in question, how differently we behave, how persistently we claim the right to decide all by ourselves just what we should think and just how we shall act. Oh, yeah. We'll weigh the pros and cons of every problem. We'll listen politely to those who would advise us, but all the decisions are to be ours alone. Nobody is going to meddle with our personal independence in such matters. Besides, we think, there is no one we can surely trust. We are certain that our intelligence, backed by willpower, can rightly control our inner lives and guarantee us success in the world we live in. This brave philosophy wherein each man plays God sounds good in the speaking, but it still has to meet the acid test. How well does it actually work? One good look in the mirror ought to be answer enough for any alcoholic. Should his own image in the mirror be too awful to contemplate, and usually is, he might first take a look at the results normal people are getting from self-sufficiency. Everywhere he sees people filled with anger and fear, society breaking up into warring fragments, 
each fragment says to the others, we're right and you're wrong. Every such pressure group, if it is strong enough, self-righteously imposes its will upon the rest. And everywhere, the same thing is being done on an individual basis. The sum of all this mighty effort is less peace and less brotherhood than before. The philosophy of self-sufficiency is not paying off. Plainly enough, it is a bone-crushing juggernaut whose final achievement is ruin. Therefore, we who are alcoholics can consider ourselves fortunate indeed. Each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. So it is by circumstance rather than any virtue that we have been driven to AA, have admitted defeat, have acquired the rudiments of faith, and now want to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to a higher power. Now, I think that's enough. I think we got enough uh, honey to feed on there for about an hour. So, you know, my, my understanding about dependence changed when I came into the program of recovery because I came up thinking that I was responsible for everything that was going on in my life that I had only me to depend upon. And the reality was that as I grew closer and closer to that bottle, I started to lose the, uh, the trust that I needed to be uh, in, in this world. You know, I, I couldn't trust others when really what I came to find out after entering the program was that I couldn't really trust Troy. You know, and really what it was is that I was transferring the feelings that I had about self onto others around me. So there was a, a determination inside of me to, to really not meet people just like me. You know, before entering into this program, I was susceptible to the, 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 the pangs of a drug addict and alcoholic. You know, so you could be my friend, and then again, you could be victimized by me as well. There was no real way of telling how I was going to show up. Now, this program has in, in, imbibed in me the ability to not only just trust me, but I can take a risk now and trust you as well. Now, I don't do it easily sometimes. Sometimes I have to go through, you know, whatever it is I have to go through, but I've found myself a process that allows me to allow other people into my life, into my head, you know, um, and what I found is that the people that I invite into my head, I can, I can actually trust that they have my best interests at heart. I did not have that ability before this. And I know now that God speaks to me through others, you know, so it's in, you know, it's in my best interest to have many friends, many people walking this same walk. I understand today that this is not something that I'm able to do by myself. So I welcome others. Now I'm welcoming people into my life, and I don't have the right to kick them out because God brought them in. Who am I to kick them out? And recognizing that gives me just a little bit more humility than I've ever had before. So I hope we got something to chop up. Let's go ahead and, and catch okay, so.
Thanks, Troy. Hey, I'm Sean C. I'm an alcoholic. Troy, I loved the last thing you said about not having the right to kick people out of your life because um, that's that was my MO. And, you know, the reading talked about how, you know, essentially when you look around, we all, everyone thinks they're right. Everyone has their groups and their sex and we're right and you're wrong. And, um, man, I lost so many friends and relatives. Um, you know, I used to be the guy who prided myself on, I'm just going to tell you like it is. And I was just a dick. I was a jerk. I went around, basically, I could say what I wanted, not have to worry about hurting your feelings because um, I felt like, you know, the information I had, like I had some secret access to information that you didn't have, right? Like I had this special information and whether that was, you know, in person, um, especially on Facebook, especially when I was drinking, you know, political discussions, debates, um, you know, pick a topic. I had an opinion. And if your opinion was different than mine, I would literally spend three hours and go back and forth with you until the point where we probably weren't going to be friends anymore after that. And so, um, and, and that kind of self-justification and self-reliance translated into just about every aspect of my life. And, you know, it talks about kind of how, you know, I've always touted like my hard work got me to where I was and it was all me, me, me. And in retrospect, you know, there was a lot of really good times. There were a lot of really bad times, but overall my higher power is what got me there. My higher power is what gave me the gifts that I have that, that made me fortunate enough to be successful in my career. My higher power is what carried me through the times, numerous times when I should have lost my job um, for leaving work early or for just once again at work, you know, being a jerk, being um, a self-righteous righteous asshole. And I, I can't really explain it. I like how the reading also talks about like the electricity that flows through the walls because I don't understand how that works either, right? I mean, I know I turn on the light switch. I know my, my light bulb turns on, but I don't have to understand the science to know now because I have a track record of when I flip that switch, my light comes on. And so I don't have to doubt whether or not that's going to happen. And today when I'm struggling with this situation, or there's um, something I just can't figure out. And it's a lot of the time, it's most of the time, I'm like, I have no idea how to handle this. You know, I learned these tools in this program, like asking my higher power to give me an intuitive thought or action, or to still my mind, or just give me guidance and direction in this situation, um, or to show me what he would have me be, not what I wanna be, but what would what would God have me be. And um, things just seem to go so much smoother when I'm not, forecasting and future tripping and trying to analyze every possible outcome and how am I going to control this? Cause I, I'm not in control. I'm not in control. And the, my, my last thought on this topic is, you know, um, when it comes to my thinking, clearly my, my thinking, you know, is what got me into this situation and my thinking, despite my efforts to, you know, try to moderate and switch up my liquor and who I hung out with and the times of day I drank and, you know, all the ifs, if I could only do this or if I can only do that, somehow I'll, I'll drink like a normal person. You know, the day one you guys taught me um, that my thinking is what got me in this situation. My thinking definitely will not get me out. And I just had to listen to some simple suggestions and let someone else do the thinking for me for a while. And once I did that, things started coming together. Yeah. You know, it's it's a matter of intimacy, you know, and it's not the kind of intimacy that, you know, you think about in, in romance terms. No, it's into me. See, I allow people to see into me. I, I have no uh, secrets anymore and I'm transparent as best as I can. And that's how I show up today.
I love that. It <laughs> was an anagram. Ana, what is it called? In Espanol, por favor. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you said into me see. Like I've never heard of that before. I love that. Um, What's your name? Is? I'm sorry. I'm Jessica. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I was really just like intrigued with that. Um, it's so funny that this is what we're talking about because I spent all day writing a blog post about and doing an episode of my podcast, which is for mothers. So it's complete, it's not really related to this, but um, it was pretty much talking about kind of the same thing in different terms and, and such. But like when I first came into this program, I didn't have a relationship with my higher power. I didn't have a higher power. Like, I had the idea of what God was, you know, and I knew that that was something that society wanted me to believe in. That's how I was raised. That's what I was raised to believe in. But I didn't have a relationship. I didn't have the trust to have a relationship with my higher power. And so... When I first got into the program, of course, like everyone will say, if they, you know, struggle with this, it kind of turned me away, you know, because it, it was like something being shoved down my throat that I didn't understand. But at the same time, if that's the case, then why are you so quick to go to the church and, and open the Bible? You know what I mean? It's just a different room and different literature, same concept. And for me... I had to really just build that relationship with my higher power, and I had to find out what that higher power was. And it was hard in the beginning, um, and it still is hard today, but it's definitely a lot more obtainable today. Um, my mind is clearer, and I'm able to see those messages that you know my higher power sends me a lot more than when I was using. Um, so it's funny that this is the topic that we're talking about, especially um, for the stuff that I'm dealing with right now in my own personal life. Um, I've got some big changes going on. I'll be moving to Charleston uh, next week. <laughs> it's a kind of a big change for me because I grew up here, and it's the first big move I've ever made in my adult life. And you know, it's bringing a lot of things to surface, a lot of old feelings, a lot of old memories. You know, it's um, I'm reminiscing on things um, good and bad, you know. And so I'm trying to deal with the, the, the memories that hurt more than, you know, than to just ignore them because I don't want to take that with me to Charleston. And um, I will say that... Working a program has been very difficult for me lately, and I, I'm not going to even sugarcoat it. I haven't really been working a strong program, and that that's that's the thing about about this program is I can honestly sit here and say that and not feel judged, and not feel ridiculed, and not feel like I'm letting anyone down or letting myself down. I'm sitting here honestly saying that I'm a human being and I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict, and this too shall pass. But this will you know, be a problem if I don't address it. Now that's intimacy. Yeah. And you feel safe enough to say that, here. I didn't have that, that safety, you know, out there. Absolutely. 
No, I don't feel comfortable when I'm in a room with people who don't understand what addiction is. You know, I don't feel comfortable when I'm not being honest in my life. Um, I can sit here and, you know, not do what's, what is, what I should do to stay sober. But the thing is, I'm being honest about that. And that's what's keeping me here right now. That's, that's not me being honest and me having a relationship with my higher power is what is not taking me out right now. You know, it's not necessarily the motions. It's not the formula. It's the intimacy. And, um, I was writing in my blog today and I wrote something, you know, we are that I just really liked. Um, we're the only ones that stand in the way of us in the sunlight to the spirit. There's so many things going on in life outside of ourselves that try so hard to seep into our lives and leech and just suck everything that is good away. It just, it's, you know, and the thing is, is once we give that power, that that's, they will win. You know, Jess, you know, we talk a lot about our higher power in this program, you know, but don't for one second forget that there's a lower power as well. Absolutely there is. I wholeheartedly believe that. And that lower power is my disease. And I just picked up my three-year chip on February 21st. I don't know why. I can never remember. 20th or 21st. Uh, yeah, but um, thank you. But it was it was probably the hardest chip for me to pick up this year. Uh, the first chip was like, wow, man, yeah, I did that. You know, like, that's awesome. The second chip was like, all right, cool, I did it again. This third chip, for some reason, it just felt like I did. I don't know. It just felt like it just felt different because it was a really hard year for me. It was a really hard year for me and my higher power. I wouldn't say that things, you know, materially were hard. I would say my relationship with my higher power was hard. My program was hard. When I picked up that chip, it just felt different. And it reminded me the importance of having a relationship with something larger than yourself, whatever that is. Because it helps us to come out of ourselves and our thinking that is extremely dangerous for us as addicts, especially me as an addict. <laughs> Y'all get in my head and I'll come out of it. And then I search for something to fix it. And then I, like, last night I have I had a problem with it and, like, I literally was in on this loop. And I couldn't stop feeling the feelings that I was feeling until I achieved what it was that was going to make that feeling go away. And that wasn't anything healthy. But it, the problem was I didn't get down on my knees. And I stayed in that cycle and I stayed in that loop. And it was exhausting. And my husband was affected by it. My children were affected by it. The household, the energy in the household was affected by it. You know, the people in our lives, they are affected by this disease. And it's not just the physical action of taking a drink. It's our character traits that want to do harm to us. You know, it's that lower power that is trying to come into your life. 
And if you give it power, it will have power. And for me, I've learned, especially today, I, I would say that I probably had a spiritual experience today. You know, there's not any real fireworks going. You know, there's no, like, harps playing and all of that. But the, the what I feel inside connected with my, like, mind and my thinking process and, like, just the energy has shifted into a more peaceful, wholesome feeling because I'm giving my higher power the opportunity to speak. So I love this chapter. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. My name is Angie, recovering addict alcoholic. So um, what resonated with me in this reading was um, top of page 38 where it came out and said, so it is by circumstance rather than by any virtue that we have been driven to AA, have admitted defeat, have acquired the rudiments of faith, and now want to make a decision to turn my personalized, my will, and my life over to a higher power who I choose to call God. So for me, when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wasn't sitting at home thinking, okay, you have a problem, let's check Google. <laughs> so I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous by consequences, and I'm very grateful for that. And that transition in and of itself just illuminated to me that clearly I'm not in control of my life. Because if I had my choice, I wouldn't have said, oh, I'm going to go sit in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. What the hell? So that was the first revelation for me that um, I wasn't in control of my life anymore. The other entity in that piece that resonated with me is having admitted defeat. You know, of all the 12 steps, the one that we say in the rooms that has to be mastered is step one. And clearly, drugs and alcohol had power over me. It was cool because it was doing something for me. Then it had the nerve to turn around and do something to me where it was taking my soul. And in the chapter one of the 12 and 12, it tells us that um, our admission of personal powerless finally turned out to be a firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. So for this addict alcoholic, um, it's clear that drugs and alcohol, I was powerless over that, and my life had became unmanageable. That's how I ended up in the rooms. But in order for me to maintain a life of manageability in sobriety, I maintain a lifestyle of powerlessness. So that helps me to just continue to allow God to have my will and my life. I like that piece there in that step because it says, and, and is a conjunction. It's twofold. I can't just give him my will and hold on to my life. Because for me, I'm experiencing fourth dimension living. Tells us in the big book, you know, um, Bill Wilson is so clear about what it means to be in the fourth dimension. And in that fourth dimension, that's that, that's that spiritual thing. And we know that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual program. Tells us also that it's a condition of a spiritual malady. So for me, just really staying in that mindset of having given him my will and my life. I maintain that because I try to maintain being powerless. I have no control. What comes to me, who comes through me, who I interact with is all according to the will of God for my life. 
And staying in that mindset um, of a spiritual living and fourth dimension living is to have healthy relationships horizontally. Staying open to whomever comes my way. I mean, I'm at Walgreens, at Publix, wherever. It doesn't even matter. But at this point on my journey, every person I interact with, I consider it divinely set. Because I know that God's given me something to carry forth to others. Because the world is hurting. This gift that I've been given through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, to me, recovery's not hard because, I mean, it's, it's a design for living. Do this, you get this. Do this, do this. I have all of these tools. I have you guys. I have resources. I have a program that continually illuminates, illuminates for this addict alcoholic my path. So, you know, people ask me often, well, how you doing, Angie? I say, amazing. It don't change for me. It don't change for me. Even on my worst day, I'm amazing. I am literally amazing because I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is the next right thing. You know, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, we taught that we don't pray for specific things. All we're supposed to pray for is the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And that power to carry it out is a simple thing of doing that next right thing. I remember when I first came into the rooms and they're always saying, well, what does it mean to do the next right thing? Well, what does it really mean? But it also tells us in the big book that in every man, woman, and child is the idea of God. So we know what to do to the choices that we make. But now that I'm in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and clearly, clearly I am powerless. I have no control of my life. And staying in that mindset, it makes living easier. You don't have to think, just do, just do, do live life based on principles versus personalities. It makes it easier. I can overlook your flaws. I can overlook those things that you may have that I don't think should be because I'm looking at your, it's all principles for me. I don't even care. So for me, I really, really try to stay in that mindset. Because, again, it talked about here in that reading that rudiments of faith. So when I first came into the rooms, I had had an idea of faith. Because, I mean, I grew up as a Christian. We went to church. You know, faith is evidence of things hoped for and those are not seen. I had that. But the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to go from faith to trust. Just like the analogy about the light switch. We trust that the power is going to come out. So living in a spirit of trust is for me is that wheelbarrow experience. And being in the wheelbarrow for me is a cosmic experience. Being in the wheelbarrow is a safe place because I know that anything that happens to me, even in the choices that I make, and if it may be a wrong choice, my higher power, who I choose to call God, has the power to make it work out for my good, fitting to his plans for his purpose that I have been called for. And I trust in that. So there's really no bad choices I can make in sobriety. So connect the wheelbarrow to that for me. So in the wheelbarrow analogy, and I had got this from the I got this from the room some some about a year or so ago, and it really illuminated for me. So it's like if you know we go to a circus and you see the guy getting ready to walk up on the tightrope, and he's up there, and you're at like the seven thirty show. Circus has been in town all week. You're paid your money, so you know he's going to get across that tightrope. He's not going to fall. I got faith that he's going to get across that tightrope. So I'm sitting in the audience and I'm looking, but he comes up there with a wheelbarrow. 
Now, if I have trust that he's going to get across that tightrope, I'm going to get my tail into the wheelbarrow, not just having faith that he's going to get across that tightrope. So in the entity, when you think about life in an analogy to a tightrope, if I'm standing on one end of the tightrope and I'm looking from afar all the way down at the end, a tightrope is thin and it fades out. You can't see it. It goes away. And that is descriptive to me in terms of life because we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know life is so full of uncertainties. And if I sit around and try to figure out, well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that, it'll drive me bananas, sucks up my energy and it will eat my soul. Ah, I get it. I get it. You know, when we talk about uh, turning our will and our life over, you know, we always forget to say the care of God, turning it over to the care of God. Now I am in the the, the palms, the, the the hands of a God that wants the best for me. Why can't I trust that? Why shouldn't I trust that? Turning it over to the care of a God that wants the best for me could only yield good things for me. You know. And you know, Troy, it's interesting when you use the word care. It makes me think about active addiction. And I was in active addiction for 34 years, although I look 25. Hello. <laughs> and humble, 30, too. <laughs> 34 years I used drugs and alcohol. And the care God showed me in the midst of my wreckage, when I had no thought or inkling about him or cared about him, he cared, cared for me. So now that I'm sober, why in my head should I even doubt when I should have been six feet how many times, locked up how many times, institutionalized how many times, and I have my right mind and all of the gifts that he's given me in sobriety? So for me, I hold on to those experiences that he brought me from as a reminder that if I kept you in that, I cared for you in that, clearly you can give me your will and your life. Now. Yeah. If that makes sense. I am an index of maladjustments. And so when I process it through my filters, you know, it still wants to it still wants to run the show. What happens for me is that I have to stop trying to manage my life, you know, and allow God to do what God does. Hey, I'm Courtney. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Courtney. Hi, I'm grateful to be here. Um I guess one of the things I was thinking about going through this and that I know has been touched on that just keeps like cropping up to me is the isolation that comes along with this. And one thing that I do appreciate about this reading is that it highlights, I guess, at least for me, you know, so alcoholism has little to do with alcohol, right? This is a disease that centers in the mind and you know, one of the ways that I know in the beginning and even still today at, you know, four and a half years removed from drug, drugs and alcohol, um, that it comes at me is through this isolation and through this, you know, um, like don't run things by anyone. 
And, you know, you don't need to be around these people. They don't need to get to know you. Um, Doesn't it rationalize the two? Tell us, no, they're really too does. busy. You yeah. know? They ain't got no time for you. You know, it, it pumps these lies into my life. I'm not going to bother, you know, my sponsor today with this little thing. I'm not going to call these people I met at this meeting. You know, they don't need to hear anything from me. Um and even though, you know, the ways in which my disease tries to isolate me, it looks different today, it's the same thing. Um, you know, if I have a, a herd, if I have a pack, if I have a tribe, if I have other alcoholics around me that understand what this disease looks like and how it tries to come at me, that know my, my um, modus operandi and my behaviors, you know, they can keep me accountable. They can keep me safe, right? I'm safe there. Um, if my disease can, you know, have me, like what Sean was saying, like pick fights with people over things that don't really matter in this context or, you know, mess up the energy in my household and push the people closest to me away um, and do things like this, then, you know, then it can start talking to me, right? And it can it can start creeping in. Um, you know, it can tell me, you don't really need them. You don't have to listen to them. They don't know you. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I... I was going through a little bit of that, you know, earlier today, um, where, so my fiance and I are having a baby and that's a lot of change. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, really? <laughs> Drop it now, Clement? Oh, so funny. Really? <laughs> I know. By the way. But alcoholic drama. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice, 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 nice. That's a lot of change and it's a lot of stress and um, you know, I was talking to my doula about it and she was like, well, why don't you just delegate? Like, does, does he know you need help? Like, does your mother know that you're like stressed out? Like, does that, do people know that you're in this? And I was like, no, well, no, no, no I don't want to body, you know, I just, uh, I can handle it. And before I, you know, tell anyone anything I need to figure out. And she was like, stop it. Um, and it, it came at me, you know, my disease, it's, it's cunning, baffling and powerful, right? And it's going to find any way it can to, to seep in and to separate me from others so that I'm weak and so that I'm alone and so that it can pounce. And my disease separates me from, from God, from my higher power. And Troy, like what you were saying earlier, God speaks to me through y'all. If I'm not um, you know, having conversations with other alcoholics, if I'm not calling my sponsor and checking with my friends and going to meetings, if I'm not keeping contact with y'all, I'm cutting off channels of communication that I have to spirit, to my higher power. Mm -hmm. And after a while, then that, you know, that becomes my new normal. It feels normal to me to not, um, you know, hear God's message through y'all. It becomes normal to me to not call my sponsor and to not go to meetings. And this so, um, slow regression occurs. I can't hear God. Exactly. You know? And then and I, I, I qualify it by saying, oh, God isn't paying attention to me. Right. Well, he must not be listening. And if he's not listening, he doesn't care. Right? So I can, you know, then I have to do what I want. You, you start taking this power away from your faith in your higher power, and you start feeding that lower power. You start feeding your disease with it. Um, and, you know, the other thing, this, this whole question of dependence and, you know, how it talks about, you know, we're fine being dependent on our phones and our cars and, you know, everything else. But, you know, God forbid we're dependent on, 
you know, on something bigger than ourselves. If I can't depend on, you know, whatever forces out there that made the moon and the stars and that made me, I don't know why I think I can depend on an iPhone. Um, (laughs) No, no, iPhone 10. You know, yeah. The one that it doesn't even need the the button to get you to the home screen. (laughs) phone can just run my life. And these are crazy alcoholic thoughts. You know, I, I look at myself when I walk into these rooms, you know, and I'm snot nosed crying in meetings and I'm going to bed every night, you know, just wishing, if not praying, that I'm not going to wake up and, you know, I'm angry and I'm discontented and everyone in my life hates me. My relationships are crumbling. Um, you know, every day I tell myself I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to use, and somehow it just winds up happening. And if it doesn't, I'm just miserable. You know what I mean? I'm no fun to be around. I get myself into that state of being. (laughs) And then when a solution is presented to me in the form of the 12 steps, I look at that and I go, "Ah, but maybe I can figure something else out. It ain't that serious. Right. (laughs) You know, it wasn't that bad. Um, And I think that's, you know, this, this mental part that I think this section of the book does a really good job focusing on, you know, I am a crazy person and my sick brain cannot fix itself. It can't. I tried for years. I walked into my first meeting when I was 15. I didn't get sober, I think, till I was like 21, 22. 22. 22. Yeah, thank you. So I was you were more clear-headed at that time than me. You know, so I, I did all this in and out and this back and forth and you know, I, I tried the Courtney program and, you know, it sucked. Um, <laughs> it did not work well. But, you know, when I got to the point where it hurt badly enough, where I was in enough pain, and after having seen so many people that I'd known for so long who were also in pain, now flourishing and living different lives, I was able to say, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to see, you know, I'm just going to give these people maybe a few weeks of my time, show up to some meetings, you know, call this woman who knows a thing or two, you know, open this book, go through some steps and see. Um, And I began to get results, you know, and I like things that feel good, right? That's my whole problem. So when I actually started trying And I did what people told me, and I just followed a few simple suggestions. I started to to feel better, and not better in a way that I felt good. I didn't feel good for, for some time, right? But I felt noticeably less shitty, even though it still kind of felt bad some days. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, you do that for a few days, and you're like, huh. And a few days later, it's like, hmm, you know, and then, you know, days turn into weeks and one day at a time and all that. But I don't know. I I guess, you know, I have to turn my will and my life over if for no other reason, because I ran it into the ground. You know what I mean? I did a bad, bad job. And when I am able to come into spaces like this and commune with people like y'all and you say, I also did a bad job and then I did these things and now my life is better. It affirms that for me, you know, 
I did a bad job. I ran my life into the ground. I have a wonderful life today. Right? God decided I get to, like, take care of a kid, like a whole entire human being. Like, that's crazy and terrifying, but that's you know, for a different podcast. <laughs> Come on. Mothers. Come <laughs> um, over to your house now. Um, but I just think it's neat. You know, incredible things happen when I turn my will and my wife over. And the rebellious alcoholic in me, it hears that sentence and everything in me is like, no, absolutely not, you know? Um, but when it, when it hurts bad enough, or I'll rephrase, when I hurt bad enough, I, I chose to, to take that step. And there hasn't been a day <laughs> since I've made that decision, since I, you know, started going through these steps since I got sober that I've, like, regretted any of it. You know what I mean? I just haven't. And it's been, I don't know how many days. I'm not going to try to do that math. But long story short, my life is much doper when I'm not trying to run it because I suck at running it. So thank you. You know, I love that. You know, really what happens, I believe, with this program is that it shortens the time I am willing to sit in pain. It allows me, I believe, to uh, feel that discomfort, you know, because what I've also discovered in the program of recovery is that there is no comfort in the growth zone and there is no growth in the comfort zone. So if everything is feeling lovely and wonderful, I might not be doing some work, you know? And it's when the pain steps in and I say, all right, you're on a clock right now, Mr. Pain. I am not going to endure you for more than 72 hours. You know, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to tell somebody on me, you know? And that begins the, the healing process. And it's no accident that Brother, we were just talking about the same shit. <laughs> it's on you. Yeah, my name's Kent, and I'm alcoholic. And, and thanks for having me, man. Uh, the the reading that you asked us to uh, take a look at before was a real God shot for me. I know I shared that with you when I first arrived this evening. Um, and, and by the way, I suck at running it also. Um, that doesn't keep me from trying. Uh, periodically and uh, you know through the grace of God and and the program and the fellowship you know it's been about 23 and a half years since I took a drink or had a drug but that hasn't kept me from uh, relapsing into misery mm. at times and uh, I, I've just been working my way out of that again because I, I can get lazy um, and you know the the pages that we've uh, we've read for the discussion this evening relate to the third step. We t turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him, and uh, that doesn't happen for me through osmosis. I, I have to take action, and if I get lazy, um, the lower power, which is you can call ego or uh, whatever other term you find applicable. Um, I hear it's that. It's got many, many names. Oh, it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hear that voice ongoing until I begin to hear the things about myself that are negative all the time. And uh, I find myself in 
significant pain. And, um, you know, the, the alcohol is just the anesthetic to, to use to get away from that. It's not, while it may be a causal factor of triggering the disease, it's not the disease itself. The disease does reside in my mind and in my spirit. And I, I saw some things on uh, page 36, actually in the first paragraph, um, you know, it talks about respecting alcohol. I'll, I'll be dependent upon AA, but in all other matters, I must still maintain my independence. This is a person who's um, denying their need for God in any other realm. And the truth is, I have to have higher power running everything, uh, everything I do, or, or I get in the way. Um, and it says later in the paragraph that this, of course, is the process by which instinct and logic always seek to bolster egotism and so frustrate spiritual development. And again, later in the same paragraph, the more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, the more independent we actually are, which is true. But it seems odd that that would be the way it is, that, that strength is found through uh, surrender. It, it seems to be the opposite of what ego or human nature would would tell you and I've tried to will myself to happiness um, and and at times it kind of feels powerful I'll do it my way um, and if, if I combine that with a lazy program uh, that takes me to a very bad place and so uh, today I've had to return to you know Prayer and meditation every morning when I get up. I wasn't doing it. Um, the God of my understanding uh, I find through Christianity. So I, I read the, the Bible every evening. But I have you know brothers and sisters in recovery who are Jewish and Buddhist and agnostic and even some atheists out there who are you know they have to find their own journey. So I, I appreciate them and, and where they are. My, my program is my program, and my spiritual life is my spiritual life. And theirs is theirs. Um, so I've, I've also, you know, returned to four or five meetings a week instead of one. Uh, and calling people on the phone. And so for me, turning my will and my life over to the care of God means that I have to take active steps. Um, I, I've heard it. Um, claimed it at sometimes that doing that simply means you make the decision to work the rest of the steps, which is true, I think. Um, but it also, in daily living, requires that I have certain spiritual disciplines. Um, there are, you know, 12 steps in this program, and I think there are, there are four of them that I, that I call event steps. Uh, and I don't work them every day. I don't think you can. I don't think you can do a fourth step every day or a fifth step every day, uh, for example, or an eighth, eighth or ninth step every day. But the other eight, I think you can do daily and probably should, or at least I should. And uh, so, you know, I appreciate being brought back to the program. And, and it does feel better, by the way. And... Uh, um, you know, I have a 19-year-old son and a 17-year-old daughter who've never seen me take a drink or a drug. 
uh, but that doesn't make you perfect, but it sure is, works out better that way. And, and you have the opportunity for uh, your child to have that same experience. So that's cool. Um, and for now, I guess that's really all I got. You know, really what we're talking about, and thank you very much for sharing that, I believe it's the it's the restoration of some uh, kind of power in my life. And it, and, and it, it, it does not exclude pain because pain has power too, you know, but it gives me the opportunity to choose to be obedient to love, you know, Mm-hmm. And and that, I believe, is what God introduces into my life first. He says, look, this is just a taste of how much I care and, and I love you. You know, he gives me things that allows me to reflect and say, you know, but for God, but for God. Hey, Sean, see you again. Hey, Sean. <clears throat> so this, all this talk's got me thinking of... Um, you know, people often say or wonder, you know, why do bad things happen to good people or why isn't God listening? And when I look kind of back at my life, um, something I find interesting is the times when things are good are the times I tend to pray the, le- the, the least and the times I tend to stray away from my higher power, right? Things are going okay. I don't need that dependence. If it's a bright, sunny day, work's going good, family life's good. Um but then sometimes there's an event or a thing that, you know, makes my life feel like it's spiraling out of control or that depression's coming back or, you know, there's a death in the family or whatever it is. And um, I think sometimes those are God's way of drawing us near to him, right? Because if I'm to have a relationship with my higher power, it's not that that my God is not listening or he's not there. It's that I'm pulling away from him. And sometimes it takes you know, an act of tragedy or, or a, a, an event or, you know, a, something not desirable for me to really lean back into him and start putting my faith into him and rely um, on him to get me through things. So, and Troy wrote, wrote something down on the pad and I thought it was really cool and made me think of this because he wrote, no God and oh God, no peace. And then no God, K-N-O-W God, no peace. And that kind of gave me chills because that, that was really cool. Um, but Troy, I think for now, I want to also pivot and talk to the newcomer, if that's okay. If, if you're out there and you're listening, I know probably this God talk, at least for a lot of us, for me, was, was kind of weird coming in. You know, I was turned off, um, you know, maybe the God concept I was open-minded to, but the religious thing, I thought I was going to come in with a bunch of crackpots who just had a different book besides the Bible and they were going to make me think a certain way or do a certain thing. And you know, I, w- I was tied to that kind of hypocritical idea of the church that I grew up with as a kid, but um, that's not what we're about. You know, we're, I think Kent said it best, you know, people come from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different religions, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim. We don't care. Your higher power is yours. And we um, want you. We want you. Yeah. yeah. Your higher power is yours to define. Um, but most importantly, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you feel alone or that there's no one who gets you, like I felt, chances are if you walk into, you know, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous, Marijuana Anonymous, any of the the anonymous groups, you're going to meet a bunch of people who know what it's like to be where you are today and more importantly, have found a way out. So my, um, my I don't want to say guidance, my suggestion would be, 
you know, if you're on the fence, find a meeting, hit Google. You can search nearest meeting, you know, closest to me. Make sure your location services are turned on. <laughs> get your butt to a meeting, you know. Um, it's scary. It is. But once you get past that step, you're going to be loved and just accept the love. That's all I got. That was awesome. Jessica, an alcoholic. Hey, Jessica. Still an alcoholic. Still an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of great stuff was said here tonight. Um, I love what you were saying about um, relapse into misery because that's kind of what it feels like when you don't work your program. And, you know, that's just, that's, I mean, that's just the perfect way to say it truly is but to the newcomer um if you if you're listening to this podcast then you're you're wondering if you have a problem with drinking and you're saying and that's fine you know it's okay to have an addiction it's okay to struggle with addiction and alcoholism but like um like Sean said, get to a meeting, put your location on. That will definitely help. <laughs> get to a meeting and just listen. And like they always say, find the similarities and not the differences. And when I heard that, I mean, it just was like a light bulb came on. I, I would sit there for the longest time before I got sober trying to. Um, I would sit in the meetings and I would just listen to what people were doing that I wasn't doing, that their stories were so much worse off than mine was. And that was my addiction talking to me, you know, telling me that you're not that bad and you can still do this. And that is the worst thing that you can do as a newcomer is go into a meeting and listen to how other people's lives were when they were using you know, and then saying your life isn't that bad because honestly, if you're sitting in a meeting, your life is probably that bad, you know? And no, I mean, like, that's just the truth. I mean, that is the truth. That is what they, I wish somebody would have told me, you know what I mean? Like if you're sitting in, a, in one of those rooms, then ask yourself, why am I sitting in this room? Obviously, there's a reason. And if there's a reason, that's okay. You know, like, accept it, you know. It, know God and know K-N-O-W. Like, that is so awesome. That is so true. And when you know God, you'll know yourself. And then, like, accepting yourself will come along with that. And I just want to, um, I found some quotes for, like, that I have in my great things never came from comfort zones. You said that earlier or something along those lines. But I found this quote, and I, I, I love it. It's from Marion Williamson. Um, ego says, once everything falls into place, I'll feel peace. Spirit says, find your peace, and then everything will fall into place. And boy, is that true. I mean, that is the truth right there. We're always trying to find people who suffer with addiction, mental illness of any kind, really, we're always trying to find something to help us achieve peace, but we're not let, we're not searching for that within ourselves. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to find outer achievements to 
fix that. And it's so messed yeah, up. And, and sometimes it looks like a woman. Sometimes it looks like a car or mm-hmm. a house and, or, or, or balance in a bank account. Yeah. And none of that shit. None of it. Lord, get me. None of it. The only thing is the sunlight to the spirit, your higher power. No. So sit down in a meeting and listen for the similarities. That's what I would suggest. Thanks, Jesse. Hey guys, my name is Angie, recovering addict alcoholic. Hey, <laughs> so it, just a couple things here. You know, step three is just really the basis of you know understanding what spiritual growth is, and spiritual growth does not happen by acquisition. It happens by subtraction. And when you think about the dynamic of what subtraction is, it's that whole element of that self-sacrifice. And the wonderful thing that I love about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps is that in those moments that I may find myself get into my head, I have this amazing gift of self-awareness. That if I'm getting into my head, there's only I there and there's all ego. And we've heard in the rooms that ego means easing God out. So that's a little ticker like, ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. Tighten up on your (laughs) spiritual program. (laughs) Get a meeting. Reach out. Do what you need to do. So that gift has just been such an awesome blessing. I, I, I really don't. Uh, just recently, I had gotten into my head, and I was like over-processing a situation, and I pulled up Google, and I was traveling. I was in Kentucky with a friend, and I found a meeting seven minutes away. Oh, I got my that. tail to that meeting so quick, and once again, God doing for me what I could not do for myself. I heard exactly what I needed to hear. I went back to go hang out with my friend. I was like, I'm good now. Okay, what's up? <laughs> and it was those kinds of cosmic experiences that helped me to stay centered on giving him my will and my life. And then, you know, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it's a self-abandonment program. It's, it's about getting out of self. It, it gives us steps and processes how to get out of self and how to continue to stay in that mindset of subtraction, you know, self-sacrifice. Because like today, I, I've been training so hard and I was tired and I was laying around I was like, Oh, I got to ride all the way to Alpharetta. I pulled it up. It was like an hour away. I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to this. So again, self-sacrificing, getting out of my head and giving up those things that Angie wants to do. And I like those moments when I have those things where I'm like, I really don't want to do it, but I know I need to do it because that keeps me focused on my spiritual program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Recovery. And, you know, it's funny because when when you think about um, what spiritual growth is, and it looks different for everybody because the great thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is for the newcomer, it's a God of your understanding, giving up your will in your life. As long as you don't have the power anymore, give it to a chair. You just give up the power from yourself. And, you know, I heard in the rooms of um, from some old timers, and I appreciate your share, Kent, with your years. And, you know, we've heard the promises, the nine-step promises, a new outlook, um, financial insecurity, whether it leave you, all those different promises. And those have come to pass in my life. And one of the things and promises of step 10 is to cease fighting against alcohol or anything. In, cease fighting all things. 
So to stay in that mindset and to hold on to the promises, I heard once one person tell me to never let the things that AA gave me take me away from AA. And that has just really keep me humble in my program. Because God keeps giving me amazing things, amazing things, amazing things. And I'm not talking just material, but just those cosmic experiences that leave an indelible mark on my life that can never be erased. And I know it got it because of these steps and these principles and these programs and, and you guys. And when things get busy, I'm so mindful to not let the things that AA has given me take me away from AA which has given me my spiritual experience. So for the newcomer, this thing got uh, this thing's got the nerve to work. <laughs> Just get in there and the, and the beautiful thing is that it's free. It is absolutely free and does not discriminate. So and we will gladly refund your misery. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Just keep coming back. Just keep coming. <laughs> Thanks Thank you for Hey, um Courtney, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Courtney. So I, I love that you brought up the 10 step promises. Um, you know, in the beginning for me, this go round, um, there's this guy I, I still see at meetings sometimes and he would pass out the 10 step promises to be read when he was the DL um, as opposed to the ninth step promises. And, you know, I, I think he handed them to me in a meeting and I read them and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to get to step 10. And if I'm not you know, if I don't have these things, by the time I get there, I'm leaving and y'all can't tell me anything because I tried. Shit didn't work. I, um, you know, I was like, refund me, run me back my time. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, it's, you know, we've ceased writing anything and anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Um, and it goes on to say, you know, we'll seldom be interested in liquor if tempted if we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We're not fighting it. We're not avoiding it. We've been placed in this position of neutrality. Um, and that's what I needed because I was tired of fighting. When I came in here, I was just, I was tired. I was tired of, of consequences. I was tired of life and people. I was tired of my damn self. I was just tired. Um, and, you know, it's funny because once I started doing the work, once I came into meetings and I listened for the similarities and not the differences, and even a step further, you know, I listened for the for the feelings, right? I, I could not relate to people who, you know, had wives that were leaving them and, you know, adult children that didn't want them to be a part of their grandkids' lives and all this stuff. I couldn't relate. What I could relate to was that they were lonely, that their familial relationships were trash. I could understand that, you know, they were in pain and I was in pain. And apparently they had found a way out of that pain and I needed to know what it was. Um, so once I came in, you know, and I, I was listening and I I got a, a sponsor, this woman that had been through the steps, and she sat down with me and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and she dragged me kicking and screaming through the steps quickly and thoroughly because I needed to go quickly. I needed the relief. I had to do it. I had to get it done. Um, you know, I, I started to feel so much better as I worked my way through that I forgot. I had told myself that if I got to step 10 and these things didn't come true, I was leaving. And all of a sudden, you know, it's down the road and, you know, life, life is still life, but 
I don't find myself clenching my fists anymore. How about grinding your teeth? Oh, grinding the <laughs> teeth, <laughs> right? I don't find myself with all, you know, these these tension things, yes. right? Just wondering, when can I, you know, get away from this or out of this conversation? What and is it? Right. I have to wear a night guard today because I've <laughs> clenched my teeth so much. <laughs> oh, that damn wreckage, right? Wreckage. You know, life is different today. Life is good. And like what you're saying, it's not just the material things, right? Like, I'm not in jail. Probably should be. I'm not. You know, I'm not dead. These things are good. Also, you know, today I have this peace because I know God. Today I can sit with myself. I can look at myself in the mirror, right? And I'm not, you know, having all of this turmoil wanting to turn away. Um, I can look people in the eye. I can operate with integrity. I can hold a job down. You know, I finished college. Like, I'm doing things, right? I'm capable of stuff, which is nice to be able to be capable of stuff in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm in this position of neutrality. I can walk through, like, the beer and wine aisle in the um, grocery store today, and I don't get itchy. You know what I mean? I'm just walking through the aisle. On my way to the register to pay aisle. for my my vegetables and my fruits because I have money to feed myself, um, which is amazing. It really is. And it sounds so silly, but like this is a miracle. I used to have to scrape together change in my car for like a McDouble. You know what I mean? Like life is so different today. Um, and I'm so, so grateful. And I think, you know, I don't think it matters, you know, what kind of deals for, okay, for me, it didn't matter what kind of deal, what kind of silly 10-step promise deal I had to make with myself to start. It just mattered that I started. Yeah. Um, you know what was powerful? And you just brought that memory to me. Uh, about, I don't know, 20, 20 years ago, um, I lived in Stone Mountain, and I came to uh, Alpharetta with Duke. And dude was like, yo, this would be a nice place to panhandle. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, really? Uh, panhandle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and now today, I have a house in Alpharetta. And I'm thinking, this would be a good place to live. Mm. You know? That changes my perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. That total shifts. This whole shift in, in consciousness and thinking and behavior, you know, yeah. everything. There's just this shift that occurs. Work, um, God. Work. Work, I know. God. It's incredible. Won't he do it? You yes, can have is. it. You can have it. <laughs> and I give it willingly. Yeah. You know? It's really incredible. The gifts of this program are, are just, you know, they're boundless. And I... I used to laugh, you know, you come into meetings and you hear people say all that corny shit, like, you know, my life today is beyond my wildest dreams. And if you would have, you know, what it, what is it like if you would have asked me to, you know, tell you exactly what I wanted out of sobriety and I got I would have shortchanged myself, right? Yeah. And all this like super cornball stuff. And now as I'm sitting here, I'm just like, oh my God, like I never would have painted this picture for myself. I just wouldn't have. I just wouldn't have. And even, you know, to still be in a lot of ways so far in the beginning, it's incredible. You know, you get to a point where you have faith 
in this program, you know, faith in this God, I'm connected and I'm, I'm plugged in. And as long as I continue to do what I need to do, I know that it only gets better from here. Uh-huh. And that's an incredible place I to trust be. It. Mm-hmm. So blessed. Hi, this is Ken again. Hey. Hey, Ken. I'm, I'm just thinking about stuff I might say that would help a newcomer. And uh, it would sure help me to talk to more newcomers and to get, help keep it green, which is one of the reasons I get lazy if I don't remember where I came from. Um, you know, I, I counseled with a guy uh, for a while early in my recovery who talked about um, – uh, he used an analogy uh, suggesting that what I was doing was, you know, it was like being in the middle of a rushing stream and uh, holding on to a rock in the middle of the stream and not willing to let go. Um, when there's people all around me telling me that if I will let go, um, you know, I'll find rescue and peace, but I'm holding on to that rock because it's what I know. And what I'm accustomed to, and I'm afraid. And you got to drop the rock, man. <laughs> and uh, you know, and also try, try to uh, avoid swimming back out and, and grabbing it again. Uh, but it is uh, th- there are literally millions of examples of people who have been rescued by surrender. And by following these 12 steps, and if you're listening to this podcast, something's probably not right in your life, would be my guess. And um, the fact that I was fortunate enough to participate in it is probably an indication that there's something wrong in my life, too. (laughs) (laughs) And so I needed to be here. And, um, you know, that's really all I've got. You know, when the self-talk changes and you hear the voice in your head and it sounds just like you and it's telling you not to do something, then that gets my attention, you know, and it tells you to go and and be strong, be courageous, go to it. Raise your hand. Tell them the truth about yourself. Be authentic. You're being restored. And I am simply passing something along right now. You know, the Spirit is telling me to tell you this. If you're listening now, the Spirit is telling me to tell you this. That borrow just a little bit of my courage and go into a meeting, you know, Raise your hand and say, hey, my name is X, and I just want some of what you have. How do I get it? And we would be more than happy to sit with you and exchange a little bit of misery that just was transformed and restored into a new life, new perspective, all because God still loves me. But for God. But for God, but for God, if you're here, I'm asking you, come back. We love you. We're so glad that you visit Clean Dreams Recovery Podcast. Please come.